You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, your cruise director, and uh, we are going to visit today with a gentleman who is a longtime leader in in his own right. He's written uh, 16 books, I believe it is, and his name is Glenn Parker. Glenn, welcome to the show. Looking forward to our conversation. As am I, as am I. Uh, for those of you that are streaming, you can't see this, but on the video, Glenn's got some images in his background of some of his books. And the latest is one called Positive, uh, po- I'm sorry, Positive Influence Leaders. But before we get into some of the books and the book ideas, Glenn, give us a, an idea of your background and your journey. And I know it's probably long, but uh, try to pack it in. So you tell us what you got. <laughs> All right, let, let, let me let me let me let me be brief. Um, so uh, I, after graduate, I, I grew up in uh, grew up in New York City, basically a street kid. Uh, went to um, uh, went to high school and college there, and sort of grew up um, on the streets and subways and the like. And so. Um, big sports fan so i always was interested in teams and teamwork um and um then went to graduate school um went for a doctorate at cornell and then when i um got out went to work had worked uh in leadership leadership training and development learning and development um for a while and then uh circumstances which are not not all that interesting i ended up earlier than i might have anticipated going out on my own um in 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 a partnership with uh, another gentleman and so i at fairly young age i i was um out out working um as as a consultant working with a, a variety of different organizations first nonprofit government and then uh, transitioned into um uh, into the um, corporate world. I was always also on a personal level, uh, married three children. Now I have six grandchildren. And so um, very active part of my life. Fortunately, they they all live nearby. Um, and I've also, also been very much of a community activist, uh, working for various nonprofit uh, charitable organizations, political organizations. So I've always spent a good part of my time working for and with other people outside of uh, outside of my work, and that's been um, that, that that's been a real joy in my in my life. I um, oh gosh, it's come about twenty five years ago. I actually was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and was treated and have had no reoccurrences let me find some wood here <laughs> yes start you know knocking and um but i got involved with the american cancer society as a volunteer and started a um started an event called run for dad which was to raise awareness and uh, about the dangers of prostate cancer and the importance of screening early detection and that was very successful. It's probably one of the probably close to being the, 
the proudest thing that uh, I've done outside of uh, outside of my family. Um, so, you know, th that's that's uh, kind of in a in a nutshell, um, you know, who, who I am, and I'm I'm still doing all all of those things. Um, I have a lot of energy, and so I, I, I bring it, and so I'm, I'm always very active in terms of a variety of different things going on. But also, to your point earlier. I've traveled a great deal, but, uh, not only for work, but also, um, you know, personal travel. And I enjoy the adventure of of travel as well. So, yeah. Well, in in the journey that you described there, I, I know you've had exposure to and worked with a lot of leaders at different levels and different size and type of organizations. And as I recall, that that led to some of the research you've done in in a couple of your books you you tell some great leadership stories so uh talk talk about that one book that so the book about um how, how did we come to write about positive influence it turned out that a a man that i was very close with he started out as a client and i worked for him for 20 years and we became friends and colleagues and he eventually, uh, this was in telecommunications, he worked at uh, Bell Laboratories and then Bellcore. And, and then, um, so uh, then we became personal friends. We knew our families. And um, uh, unfortunately, he got ill and passed away um, a, a, number, a few years ago. And I got a notice about a memorial for him. And I was obviously planning to go. And uh, I started to think about him and his impact on me. Um, and I kept coming to this phrase, he was a positive influence on me. He got me to do things I had never done before. And I was not a child. I was a, an adult, you know, uh, man. And, um, but he, he, he kind of stretched me this way. So I came in to, to set up teams to convert his organization to a team-based organization. And when he finished, when I finished with that, it took a couple of years to do that. You know, he said, no, I want to do, uh, you know, I want to train all my people in customer service. I said, well, Bill, I don't know anything, but I, I know a lot of people that do it. And I'll get you someone, I'll bring someone in. And he said, no, I want you to do it. <laughs> So I said, well, I, I said, I don't know. He said, you'll learn. And I did. And then he did this several other times. And so I said, I can't be the only person in this world that's had someone in their life that was a positive influence. In fact, most people have more than one. And so I called up Michael, my son, and I said, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And we, we were, not in, we're not in business together. He has a completely different career. He's a senior leader in financial services. I says, I'm thinking about writing a book about this. He said, and I told him a little more of the detail. He said, well, you know, I'd read that book. Uh, and this was, you know, quite a compliment coming from him. He's well read in leadership and management and the like. And I said, well, just off the top of my head, I said, why, why don't, would you like to write it together? He said, I would love to. And that's how we came to, came to write this book. And uh, let me tell you one other quick story because I started to think about who else in my life was a positive influence. And it was my first boss um, at a graduate school, my first job. 
and my first performance evaluation you know that that you know that sort of dreaded meeting the first time you meet with your boss to, he's going to give you a feedback on how you're doing so i'm in the meeting with larry and you know i my my job was to do research and write reports that's what i was good at and um so yeah i would he would say, I, I need, we, we need to know something about such and such. And I would go off and research it and write a report and it would get passed around the organization. So came to that point in the, in the uh, performance evaluation where it, it, it talks about your development plan. What are you going, what, what, what do you want to do going forward? And I had been noticing the people across the hall in leadership training they would they seem to be having a great time they were traveling all over the, the the country doing workshops and they would come back with stories travel stories stories about the workshop and and you know i'm sitting there writing reports and so i said to larry gee i think i might like to do that could i as part of my development plan observe a class so he said well glenn as a matter of fact i'm going down south next week and i'm going to be conducting two leadership training workshops um you know you can come with me i said great i would love to do that he said here's the only thing i can't justify your travel expenses unless you teach something so my lips started to quiver i said <laughs> yeah you know that first time right <laughs> so i i said um, I said, Larry, how could I teach? I don't know anything. He said, we'll figure it out. I taught a little, a unit, about two hours, and it went very well. And I said, this is what I want to do. He didn't say to me, well, you know, I have, we have a workshop to conduct. Why don't you do the workshop for two days and I'll sit in the back and then I'll give you feedback. No, no, no. He set me up for success. I, he gave me a very defined, and he, it, it was a topic I knew, and I knew a good bit about. And it was two hours the afternoon of the second day, so the group was already warmed up and they were into it. And uh, you know, I, I it, it was it was he, he teed it up so that I could be successful, and I did. And I noticed that I I, I know and decided at that point this is what I really wanted to do. And that's what being a, one of the things about being a positive influence was. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, that I had right. yeah. within me, and he put yeah. me in a position to succeed at it. Now, Larry was quiet, you know, uh, kind of guy. You would never, you know, he was not a charismatic, big personality. No one would ever confuse him with Tony Robbins. I mean, he was, you know, he's just a, but he had insight. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I didn't realize at the time what he had done and he did it instinctively. Um, and I didn't realize until late and I started to think about this idea of positive influence and there it was, um, you know, God bless him for, for doing that. But, but that's right. that was the first real personal experience. And, and by the way, Doug, this is how we think, we, we tell, we, we, we present a lot of what we have learned through stories and quotations by people that 
make it a a lot more impactful than you know here's a list of the five characteristics of a of a positive influence leader Does that right. Make sense? right oh yeah yeah no, definitely. Just reading a bore dry, boring and drying list of um, attributes doesn't get it. You, you you need to try to hear a story and connect with something that you might hear in that story that says, oh, okay, that's what that is. And I really like the nuance that you've added to this word influence. You know, there's a lot of teaching that I'm familiar with that says, Leadership is about influence. The positive is assumed in there, but right. I, I like the fact that you call it out and 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 name it as the significant difference, uh, because obviously we can influence a situation, but it may not be a good outcome. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a great point because when uh, when Michael and I started doing in uh, interviews for the first book and asking people about you know, who was a positive influence in your life? I guess the second or third interview, someone said to me, um, aren't you going to ask about negative influences in my life? Because I've had a lot more of those. We said, oh, you know, we, we need to ask about that. So we started asking th about that as well. But we put it in the concept of what happened and what did you do about it? Right. So right. how did you convert a negative influence, a negative experience into a positive for you that you could learn to say, uh-uh, <laughs> right. when I get my turn, I'm not going to do that. So yeah. there can be a learning in that as well. So thanks for bringing that up. Well, a lot of my audience who's followed me knows much of my story. And a big part that I refer to is the fact that I grew up an only child of a single mom and uh, my dad had died when I was two years old. <clears throat> she did not remarry and chose to instead surround me with mentors. She found people in the community and the, and these guys weren't front page news guys. I mean, they weren't famous and popular, but they were good, solid salt of the earth. And I started, you know, doing things with them. I mean, you know, I, I had a guy that would, taught me how to fish and another guy that taught me how to play tennis, another guy that taught me woodworking and, and, you know, uh, just some really meaningful experiences. And while we were doing all that, obviously there was more discussion about life and what it meant to be a man and how to grow up and do things. And I was in fact telling somebody just the other day that the, one of the takeaways from that is that as I got older, even though I still harbored a little bit of anxiety about not having my real dad, I was a little jealous of everybody else that had their dads. I learned quickly that honestly, to put it bluntly, that was kind of a crapshoot. Some of these guys, their dads weren't necessarily nice people. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. And and uh, yeah, one little factoid in the story, not to denigrate, but uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and that's why he died. So if he had lived and been around, who knows what kind of life I would have had at home? Exactly. No, no, no. Uh, you know, I, that, that's um, you know that's a very good point. And I, I think uh, if I know anything about you, Doug, is that one of the things about people who have had benefited from positive influences in their life, they tend to pay it forward. Oh, and, yeah. Am I yes. right about yes. you? 
Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and part of this is what what you're doing right now as well. Right, right. No, definitely. Well, as as you ran through those interviews, what were? Well, let me ask this: You did enough of them. Was there any? two or three things that really jumped out consistently as always being impactful and significant in somebody's life? Um, well, the it, it varied. People's positive influence, what we found, is could have been a parent, um, could have been a teacher, could have been a coach, um, could have been a friend. Right, right. Um, could have been, you know, a, a manager, a supervisor, a manager, a leader when they went to work. So it it varied all over the place. Um, and people told us, and by the way, we're still collecting stories uh, on this. And, and if people go to our website, thepositiveinfluenceleader.com, there's a blog post there that's very extensive called Stories of Positive Influence, because people started sending us stories. And I encourage um your followers your listeners to um send the story to me and uh, you know we're talking 200 300 words you send it to glenn g-l-e-n-n at the positive influence leader.com you know we'll publish it um but we you know we got um we people all, all kinds of different people became um uh were, were were able to have influences that were uh, extremely positive, as well as you know people who had negative influences and had to overcome them. Yeah. And some of the, some of the some of the things were 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 pretty bad. But uh, you know, I think as you know, um, we thought we had there were more things that we could do with this idea of being a positive influence leader. And so we we were thinking, okay, let's maybe we'll do some research on teachers because so many of us have had a teacher that was a positive influence. My mom was a teacher and she was a big influence on me. And I know on a lot of her, um, many of her students. And we thought maybe, you know, we can do a book on a coach or coaches who were positive influence, both sports teams as well as life coaches and and um and executive coaches um and as we're looking around <laughs> to do that um covid hits in 2020 and uh this first book was released um in may or september of 2020 and we're looking around to do this and gosh, the thing is hitting us right in the face. And yeah. Michael said to me, you know, because we, we we thought, oh my God, we're releasing a book in the middle of this worldwide health crisis. Nobody's going to be interested in reading a leadership book during this time. And so Michael said to me, dad, why don't we think of this as an opportunity and not a problem? And I said, what do you mean? He said, why don't we write a book about positive influence leaders in a time of crisis. How do they handle themselves? It's a very different, very different kind of situation than they're used to. And that's how we came to write the second book, which is um, about just about to be released. 
It is interesting because what, as you were describing that, what flashed through my mind is that when we turn to, and, and us in the professional coaching world, we do rely a lot on various assessment tools to help people understand personality and psychology about who they are and how they need to show up or what they need to change when they show up. And one of the principles that usually goes with that without much debate and exception by psychologists is that when we're under stress and pressure, we our personality changes. There's kind of this alter ego that may show up if you're not able to regulate that. Right. If you're not sensitive to the probability of that happening as a leader. So my experience going through that, talking to leaders and and by the way, just kind of for the record, coaching actually did an uptick during COVID. You, you would have thought that that would be a nebulous expense that companies would cut back on, but contrary to that belief, it actually went up. Yes. There were, people were seeking encouragement, guidance, and direction to find new answers. So um, yes. uh, all that experience. And the leaders I talked to during all that realized that if they didn't check themselves, they were not going to be the leader they wanted to be during that crisis. So that, in my book, that was really step one of showing up as a positive influence leader during that time. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. And um, when um, this, this tracks very well, because when we asked people, what were your biggest challenges during this time, during the COVID, um, we ended up with about six buckets, six buckets of things that went, went, went into, but probably the one that was most dramatic and probably hit more of them than anything else was simply the emotional toll that it took on the people in their organization and on themselves. Right. That's why I think that you're saying, and I, I have colleagues that are also executive coaches, they said the same thing. Glenn, my business is booming during this time. Now, yes, I'm. it's, it's via Zoom, but it doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I'm more and more people are looking for that kind of thing. So the, the emotional toll was probably, and we, 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 we never ranked them or did anything like that. We just told the story, uh, cause the stories were dramatic enough, Doug, um, that the emotional toll on them and as well as on their people was, um, was paramount. Let me give you, let me, if you don't mind, let me just give you a, a, a couple of quotes yes, from please. the interviews, because they really tell it a lot better than I do. A, a man named Mitch, I, I, Mitch Rudin, his name is, he's the CEO of, of, of a major real commercial real estate company uh, in New York City. Um, he said, this is what he said. He said, my biggest concern during this, my biggest concern was dealing with the mental health of our people while trying to maintain our positive, upbeat culture. He said, that's that's what I had to deal with the most. And then many, he and many others said, they also had to deal with the emotional toll on themselves. Right. That it, it hit them um, in so many ways. 
they they had to deal with what 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 impact it was having on the people in their organization um and so even when they went to remote work the stress didn't end because often the work day didn't end because now you were available all the time from early right. in the morning exactly. until sometimes late at night and even if you were able to turn off the phone put close down your laptop the work still didn't end why because the kids were home from school and they needed to do their homework you had to make sure that you had a good uh computer for the children you had to make sure that you had high speed internet so they could get their assignments from their teacher and you had to help them with the their assignments um and so for uh people who were parents the the work day continued and the stress continued because right. many young people students had never learned this way yeah some of them and i know some of them just had a real hard time adapting to sort of one on one learning i'm looking at a screen as opposed to being being in a classroom business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too and the first step is going to dugthorpe.com Dugthorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth and happiness. Go to dugthorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's doug t h o r p e.com. Um, no, that's true. And and as I've talked to people, I, I agree. And, and leaders I've worked with have said the same thing. They're very worried about the mental health or were worried and still are actually. But the um, you're, you're right. And part of the dynamic is we collectively kind of lost all our boundaries. We used to have a pretty good rhythm of getting up in the morning, taking care, getting kids off if you've still got them at home. But then you do the commute to work, so that's kind of a dividing line. Yes. And you focus on your work, you do the commute home, and that's another dividing line. And yes, everybody had some form of maybe carrying stuff home to work on, but to your point, during the, the lockdown, with all the chaos in the homes, uh, people would would say, well, I had to take two hours from nine to 11 to deal with my kids. So in my mind, I owe the bank two hours. Yes. So if I do that from seven to nine at night or nine to 11 at night, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make up my time. And, but what would have been two hour exchange turned into three hours because you got involved in something else. And then it, it just yeah. kept expanding. Yeah. No, no question about it. And on top of this, there was the stress of will i have my job am i going to be laid off uh what what about loss of income during this time right. there was a lot of, all of that was layered on top of worries about are, are we going to get sick uh there, there was all those things added to the stress and to and to be very uh blunt about it it fell most heavily 
on women because they tended to be the people in many cases who right. were going to work, coming home and managing uh, at home the, the children's homework, the, the family finances, uh, groceries and, and the like. Correct. All of that was this, all of that stress layer. And then, and I'm sure you remember this, then we had the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Right. That, on top of this, added, and, and the hundreds of thousands of people that were protesting, and that was not over there. In many cases, that was right here because it impacted leaders in organizations who had to deal with the feelings that people that were evoked as as a result of those murders and so you had many leaders and organizations doing things to address it they didn't just sit on their hands they addressed it um for example um uh, Eric Nordstrom, who was the CEO of Nordstrom department stores, uh, clothing stores, um, he had to fly down to Florida because one of Nordstrom's employees in Florida was mistreated by the local police. And he's, I guess he said, I'm not sitting up here. I'm going down there to talk to the police and talk to the employee and talk to the other employees and say, you know, we understand and we're with you. Similarly, uh, Hans Vestberg, who was the CEO of uh, Verizon, he realized that Verizon had a lot of uh, black employees. He met with those employees via uh, Zoom and said, this kind of behavior is just not acceptable in America. And he broke down, and I, I've seen this video. He, he broke down because someone told me about it. Someone, a board member at Verizon, told me about this situation, and he broke down crying because he was so upset by by this. And um, another woman that we interviewed, she, uh, Jody McLean, she's the CEO of Eden's, who's a they own and manage um, retail. Uh, shopping centers, and they, of course, were impacted by um, the protests. Um, but she did a very dramatic thing. She got a copy of Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, and she sent it out to all employees um, around the country, and they set up small group meetings where they, with a facilitator and 10 people, and they, people just were allowed to unload and discuss their feelings. So they had to deal with all kinds of things, Doug, at this time. It just kept pounding on. Right. And at the same time, you're trying to communicate with all of your employees, trying to get a clear message out there. And it's not easy. Because, well, and, yes. and for those that were at the top of the house of, of these big companies and really any companies of any size, there was also a, a challenge because when companies continued to do employees' satisfaction and engagement surveys, there was a dynamic shift that hadn't happened for decades. And in the area of trust, when the questions get asked, do you trust your boss and do you trust CEO and senior leadership? Two different questions. 
for decades, the tradition was, yes, I trust my boss. I'm sorry. Yes, I trust CEO, but I don't necessarily trust my boss. That was kind of the pattern. In, right. And it had varied, but in general terms, that was always the pattern. But during the pandemic, it flipped. The, the answers were, I trust my boss, but I don't know that I trust my CEO anymore. And, Why do you think that was? Well, I think it was attributed to the fact that God loved the CEOs. They didn't know when the next shoe was going to drop. Right. So, so they're dancing around trying to make strategic decisions about direction and positions to take. And then the very next day, a data point would come in that totally changed everything. Yeah. And they were forced to make an alternate decision and, right. and claw yeah. back what they had been saying and go set another course. And that caused confusion and, and doubt in the minds of the, the, the employee pool. I, I think that's the case. And so communication from the leadership to the people in the organization, both um, employees, but also as customers, was a real challenge during this time. Correct. Another one of the biggest challenges that people um, talk to us about, clear and consistent messaging. And some leaders, not ones we talk to, but some leaders that I know about, got paralyzed by the um, conflicting information, changing information, because there, there, this high need for perfection um, uh, and I can't, I can't send anything out until I'm absolutely positively sure that I have all of the information about the government regulations, about the issues that we're facing here locally. Um, <clears throat> and all kinds of information was coming in. It was conflicting at times. The smart ones, many of the ones we, uh, we interviewed said, this was their message. This is what we know right now to be true. And this is what we're going to do as a result of that. But things may change. Right. And as soon as you know, we'll know. You cannot be afraid to tell the truth and say, I, I, I don't know right now. Because Many of these um, organizations that we talked to, and we, try, we tried to pick people in businesses and in industries that were most impacted by COVID, healthcare, hospitality, meaning restaurants and, and hotels, um, transportation. We interviewed the, the COO of Amtrak, um, real estate, education, uh, school superintendents, head, heads of schools, principals we talked to. So they they were all, there's all kinds of rules and regulations coming from a variety of sources. You had the World Health right, Organization, right. The, the CDC, the state health agency, uh, county age health agencies, local and industry sources. Right. The National right. Restaurant Association was putting out their directions on what to do, what not to do, how to keep things clean and safe. It's, it's all coming at you. And having to manage all that communication was a real challenge during this time. Tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah. Well, let me ask this. If you can, can you 
some of the solutions were that people did come up with? You you mentioned in yes. the communication just being clear, honest, and with a caveat that things could change. That that makes a lot of sense. But what else were people? Yeah, I think with? I think uh, being being authentic because that's what people want. When, and when you talked about those surveys, when people looked up at their boss, they want you to be real. Can I can I can I trust you? Um, but other things, leaders started to realize that they had to lead and be concerned about the entire person. That employees, your responsibility for employees did not stop at the plant gate or the hospital door or the, the lobby entrance and exit. You had to be responsible for that total person. And so the the people, the leaders that were really good were regularly communicating with their employees. They would um, make a phone call, say, how are you doing? Can I help? Uh, places that had to remain open, like hospitals, CEO and other members of the leadership team, they were walking the floors of the hospital saying, how you how's it going what can you what can i do what kind of help do you need what can i get for you um and they wanted to be stopped and say you know nurses were saying you know we need N N95 masks masks we need ventilators we need more of this we need more of that um so they were present accessible available they weren't up in the executive suites you know, sending out messages. They were down on the floor. The COO of right. of Amtrak was walking the platforms. He was riding the trains. He was helping out if, you know, there was luggage that needed to be taken on the train. So a lot of it was being present and accessible and answering questions and then following up and saying, those masks are coming, those ventilators are coming. Um, or we can't get them. You've you know, heard about the supply chain issues. They're killing us. Um, we, yeah. we can't do it. So being honest and authentic. The other thing is that collaboration and innovation ramped up during this time when people started to say, try to figure stuff out. And one of the things that they realized is that employees had a lot of answers. We just hadn't been asking them. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a story of a, a local company that um, was in the business of making these boutique hand soaps, you know, fragrant yes. soaps and lotions and things like that. Well, you know, that's a that's a higher end commodity and a, and right. definitely a discretionary income spend for most households. So when the pandemic hit, their demand just went through the floor. You know, it just nobody wanted to buy right. this stuff. So the CEO wisely got the whole team together and said, I got two things I got to share with you. Because we've lost virtually all of our sales, we're obviously strapped. So I'm not sure right now how long I can sustain the payroll that we've got. We got to get creative. We got to figure something out. I'm not saying I'm ready to lay you off. I'm saying we got to find an alternate opportunity yeah and they had this team-wide brainstorming session and somebody said 
Well, you know, we got the core ingredients, all this hand sanitizer, everybody's drinking now. Why don't we make that? And so they formulated a, a, a product and they sent it out more on a wholesale basis to the grocery stores. They tried there first. And there's a huge regional chain down here called HEB and they loved it. And they started buying it literally by the gallons. And um, the next thing this company ran into was the availability of containers. So they shopped around their traditional sources, supply chain had blown up. So they turned their eyes to Igloo, the Igloo Cooler Corporation, who is also here locally. And uh, sure enough, there was a sport bottle size container that was just going to be perfect for that. They just had to rejigger the top to make it a hand pump. And they started shipping it in those containers and the whole company actually it, it just about tripled over that. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, and there were we, we have a lot of examples. I'll just I'll give you one. There's a <clears throat> Mike uh, Axiotis, who's the CEO of a of a company called Lehigh Valley Restaurant Group. They own 21 Red Robin restaurants. That's a chain yep. of middle yep. middle range. Order. Burger yeah. Place, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said, we, during this time, during COVID, we would meet with the general managers, either in person or via Zoom. And we were, we would ask people like, how are you handling various things? What are you doing about the menu? Uh, how are you keeping the place clean? What are you doing about staffing during this time? How are you handling takeout? And people shared ideas. And as a result, other, other, re other restaurants among the 21 would use those ideas. So there was more. And he said, he said, Glenn, you have to understand prior to this, the 21 restaurants competed. Everyone wanted to be number one in our group, you know, in sales and in customer satisfaction and and in uh, cost reduction and all kinds of things. But now they were collaborating. One, one restaurant had a good idea, all the other restaurants picked it up. Yeah. And he said, we're never going back Yeah, the, the old ways. And so you had a, a lot of things like that where you had um, collaboration and as a result, innovation. And so, what happens is that people learn and they're not going back. They realize that working together, and I, I did a lot of work in the pharmaceutical industry with cross-functional teams that were doing the drug development. And it was the meshing of ideas from various people from various disciplines that came that resulted in the best product ideas and outcomes and commercialization of those products. And so that's the kind of thing that came up during this time. A very famous story about um, the Javits Convention Center in New York City, a big uh, venue for uh, trade shows and conventions and the like. Um, of course, nobody, <laughs> there were no conventions. No one was coming to, to a 10,000 person convention in New York. So this space was available. And so, the um, um I, I actually interviewed the the president of the convention center he said we we weren't doing anything 
And he said, all of a sudden, the Army Corps of Engineers comes to us and said, let's together figure out a way to turn this into a, a field hospital. And within about, uh, within about four to six weeks, they converted this whole place into a 2,500-bed field hospital because New York City was dying for hospital beds and they right. so they dealt with the the overflow it was you know a lot of stories like that where things came up as a result and so leaders said we've got a lot of great people in this organization and we're not using them because we're not asking how can you help what ideas do you have about this right uh, uh, and they're not going back. Yeah, they're not going back. I agree. Yeah, those that really made some great choices and and really did big pivots uh, really are going to you know show up as the winners of the day back then. Well, Glenn, yeah, we're about me, up on just, time let here. Let Sorry, just go ahead. One one quick thing. The other thing was about <laughs> one of the you know, this so called great resignation. I'm sure that you've heard about it. And Correct covered it um, in your work. Um, the, a lot of places don't know what you're talking about when you mention it, because they've been working on creating a great place to work. And that's what you're not, you, that's what one of the things that came out of the crisis is that people want to work in a place where they're appreciated, where the boss says, thanks. Um, you did a great job under very difficult conditions. Uh, they want they want appreciation. They wanted it before COVID, and they want it even more now because the stress and strain. Um, I mean, I have some unbelievable stories of what went on in some of the hospitals about what I mean, what ha the stress on on employees who had to keep working in the hospital right. to worry about their patients, but to worry about bringing it home. So, in fact, I there's a I wrote an article about it called "Creating a Great Place to Work," in which I talked about what are the things that really good leaders are doing and learned as a result of the crisis, and will never go back to. Um, and um, that's on our website, and it's also we put it on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. So anyway, I know you wanted to get to something. Well, well, we're about up on time. We need to kind of put a bow on this, but oh, um, I, I really appreciate you sitting in, Glenn. This is great work. And I, again, I want to highlight the um, uh, thing that jumped out at me, and that is, I love your title, uh, you know, Positive Influence Leaders. Because anybody in a position of authority can have influence. It's not always going to be positive, though. And, and the goal as a leader is to figure out what positive influence you want to have to uh, not force your people to say, well, I see what he did. I don't, I, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> right. But it's, yeah. that, it's that overall thread of, of positive influence that can create that great place to work and inspire people to hang in. I just, uh, as we are recording this on this day, I had just finished two days of workshops with a client company, and I was surprised to learn. I didn't know it going in, but as I got there and met people, I, I did, there were about 40 different employees involved in my workshops. The, um, the average tenure at this company is about seven years. 
and that's and that's the average so you know that means you got some with much longer time there too but uh they just don't have turnover there they've they've got a culture of caring and and they they deal with the whole person as you touched on and they've been doing it even before covid they just the leaders there had insight and and knew that that's what they wanted to create and they've been very successful in doing that yeah that creating a community of caring is actually a phrase that we use actually because it 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 it, it um, came to us and uh just to put a bow on the idea of you know of empowerment and making use of all of the talents of the people in your organization that also was one of the outcomes of the leadership during the time of of covid much more of that when people realize we've got a lot of really good people here and we need to make better use of them and so leaders were finding that i don't need to have i don't need to be the one that has to come up with all of the answers I don't need to be the one that has to answer the question of how to deal with a problem first. You know, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, you know, someone said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, that was also a learning. And so the more, the ones that are really smart are pushing decision making down in the organization and making use of all of the resources um, of the people in their in, in their organization so so thank you for um, letting me go on and on about this i i appreciate it well thank you and, and thank you for the work you've done putting this together and folks we're going to have um, a lot of links and information on glenn and his books they will be in the show notes and in the description of all the article here below so please uh check that out and you'll you'll know how to get a hold of him and and get more information if you're interested so one last time glenn thank you very much for being on the show i appreciate and i lo love the conversation I love what you were bringing to the party as well that really um really uh was inspiring to me as well one last thing i'll say to you because uh, i i enjoyed this conversation um any um anyone who writes to me at glenn g-l-e-n-n at the positive influence leader.com the positive influence leader.com send me a little story of you know your positive influence who that was and what they did um and we will send you a signed copy of our new book leadership in a time of crisis so the first let's see three or five let's say five um people who write to us and give, you know tell us their story we'll we'll and of course provide your mailing address and we'll use it one time only to mail a copy of the book to you um we'll uh, get a signed copy of our that's new great book. that's so, great all right well very good well again glenn thanks for sitting in and uh, it's been a pleasure so everyone I, I do like to remind people that if you're listening on your favorite streaming service we do have a video version of this over on youtube channel by the same name leadership powered by common sense 
hop over there, check us out, uh, subscribe, hit the bell. You'll get notices of uh, new shows that we have coming up. So for now, we're going to wrap up, say goodbye, and I hope you have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.